The scripture reading for today is John 4, 39 through 42. Many Samaritans from that city believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I have ever done. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there for two days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, It is no longer because of what you said that we believe. For we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is truly the Savior of the world. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Well, I'm glad to see you too. This time last Sunday morning, I was uh, continuing my Disney adventure with the show choir from Oak Grove Middle School, our own Jackson Ford and Emmy Perkins and Kaysen Gill were a part of that experience, and I discovered quickly that 56 years old and 12 to 14 hours a day at Disney is a real stretch. Uh, but, I'm, but I'm delighted to have been a part of that and so proud of these young people. And if you see those children uh, in the spirit of Team 51, uh, acknowledge them. They've done lots of hard work, and they represented our community very well. I want to remind you that in the next couple of weeks... Um, Holy Week begins the week of the 29th. That's Palm Sunday. We'll have a special kind of gathering outside in the atrium. We're kind of working that out with the musicians, but we're going to have our own sort of processional into the service, uh, singing an old hymn, uh, probably a tune that even if you haven't been in church very often lately, you will find familiar in the words repetitive. And then we'll gather here for Palm Sunday worship. Susan will be preaching that morning. But on Wednesday and Thursday of that week, uh, the latter part of, of, of uh, March and the 1st of April, uh, Wednesday, uh, I mean, excuse me, Thursday evening, um, you're in for a treat, and this is something that you can share with any of your friends in this community. But the music ministry uh, of our church and the, and the sanctuary choir will be presenting Handel's Messiah, the Easter part of that. Uh, it'll be with strings. It will be an outstanding, wonderful experience. The chancel choir has been singing an anthem and a soloist every Sunday during Lent. Please make that a part of your Holy Week experience. And then we invite you back on, Sunday, on Friday night at 7 o'clock for a service that will prepare you for Sunday morning. And that is that we will have an experience around the cross. We will extinguish candles, and as we read the drama and the narrative of those last hours of Jesus' life, we will create within the sanctuary a tomb, and we will leave in darkness, and we will leave in silence, so that we have some sense of the drama of Scripture and how it speaks to our lives. So Thursday and Friday nights of Holy Week, I encourage you, the services will begin at 7 uh, and there'll be opportunities for us to invite friends in this community to make this a special invitation to Parkway's witness here in Hattiesburg. So I encourage you to be part of that. This morning, uh, Jennifer uh, talked about things that you perceive that are only half-truths or perceptions you have about people in the Scripture. I thought that was quite a nice prelude, unbeknownst to her, about this text this morning. So I want to begin the message the title, Defining Moments, colon, Quenching Your Thirst. 
what Mr. Arsman read just a minute ago was the very ending verses of chapter 4 in John's gospel. If you have your Bible or you can flip on your phone and turn to your Bible, you might want to do that. You could follow along in chapter 4 of John's gospel because what I want to do is take you back to the beginning of the story. The beginning of the story is that Jesus and his disciples had left Galilee and, were, were Jew, and they were going back towards Galilee, but they decided that they, he would go straight through Samaria. It was a long journey. It was a dusty road. And by the time the noon hour arrived and they reached the village of Sychar, Jesus was thirsty and the disciples were hungry. And so he sent the disciples into Sychar. Samaria was on the other side of the tracks if you were a Jew. It was unfriendly territory. It was hostile territory. The Jews and the Samaritans had long had a generation gap in their family generations before some, some Jews had married outside of the faith and created this mixed race. There were hostilities. In fact, so much so that the Jews believed if they were walking in a Samaritan's shadow cast up, or cast upon them, it would make them unclean. That's how divisive and, and hard edged was this animosity between these two groups. And yet Jesus and the disciples traveled right to the heart of Samaria, stopped on the edge of the town at a very famous well, Jacob's well. Jesus was thirsty. And a woman approached the well carrying a jar of water. And as she nears Jesus, she asked he asked her to give him something to drink. Immediately she responds from her own cultural perspective and, and, and she says, why would you have anything to do with me? You were a Jew. I'm a Samaritan. And not only that, in public, men and women did not interact. This woman simply was surprised. And then Jesus says to her, if you knew the water I could give you, you would never be thirsty again. And the woman says, but sir, you don't have anything to draw with. And this well is deep. I think she's a bit intrigued when Jesus says, I have, can give you some water that you'll never have to be thirsty again. Maybe she's a bit confused because she is looking around trying to see, well, how is he going to pull this off? And she says, give me some so that I won't have to come here and draw water from this well. If you look on into the passage, Jesus continues with her. He says, well, then go call your husband. She says, but I have no husband. He says, that is true. You've had five husbands. And even the man that you live with now is not your husband. Historically, and maybe in your Sunday school classes or Bible study experiences of this passage, most people say, this was a bad woman. 
anybody who had had five husbands was a bad woman. And she's living with somebody now. And she has to come to the well at midday because she can't go in the mornings with the other women to draw water. She's been ostracized. Not everybody wants to interpret the passage that way. So stay with me and don't think about lunch just yet. I want you to look back at the text if you've got it in front of you. David Luce offered me some helpful analysis at this point. Look at that conversation between this woman and Jesus. I want to ask you a couple of questions. Where do you read in the text that Jesus condemns her? He simply says, go call your husband. Where in this text does Jesus ask this woman to repent of her sins like he did with the woman who had been caught in adultery? He doesn't speak about her sin, does he? So I'm going to ask you another question. Is it possible then that this wife, this woman's life is more tragic than scandalous? I learned a new term this week in researching this text. It's the word Leverite, L-E-V-I, like Levite, R-A-T-E. A Leverite is a childless woman living with her deceased brother's husband. And technically, he, don't, he doesn't have to be considered her husband according to the law. Let me say that again. A Leverite is a childless woman living with her deceased husband's brother in order to produce an heir, yet she's not always technically considered the brother's wife. Five times a widow would be tragic, wouldn't it? Five times a widow would be tragic. I know people that have been in my family and in my congregations who've been widowed three and four times. In the first century, it would not be that difficult of a reach to consider the life of folk who, who, the hardships that they faced. Five times a widow would be heartbreaking. I have a friend, a couple, two friends of mine who are married, who had five miscarriages over a period of seven years. That was heartache. It happens. So, Would you consider this woman to be a woman who's had great hardship in her life instead of coming to the well for a lustful tryst with a man? In fact, she's lived at the mercy of her family and the relationships that have been solely dependent upon her ability to produce a male child. There seems to be something unfair about that to me. And so in some ways, I have a new appreciation for this woman. In fact, I have some admiration for her. She has what we might call moxie. The Jews would call it huspah. 
So notice as the conversation continues, she doesn't change the subject matter once Jesus tells her to go call her husband and he tells her that she not only has no husband at the present time. She says, I see you are a prophet. If you're familiar with John's gospel at all, one of the things you'll discover is that when the word seeing is used in John's gospel, it is a reference to trusting faith. It's a confession. When this woman suggests that she sees Jesus as a prophet, she's confessing her faith in him, not changing the subject. And what does Jesus see? Does he see a scandalous tryst attempt or does he see a woman who has known great sorrow and difficulty and who is seeking to quench her dry and thirsty, desolate life? And then she asks the question in the story that has burned at the heart of the gap that is between Samaritans and Jews for generation. The question is, where do we truly worship God? And when Jesus surprises her with an answer and says to her and reveals to her that he is the one who they've been waiting for, he is the Messiah. She leaves her water jar and she runs off to her village Leaking every step that she takes, every word that comes out of her mouth is full of new life-giving water. So much so that she leaves this jar behind her, a symbol of carrying around a burden seeking and searching for something that will fill up the emptiness in her life. She leaves it behind with Jesus. She's been seen by the one who sees her as she truly is. And the one who sees you and I as we truly are. She experienced acceptance and love and compassion, so much so that she couldn't contain it. She had to go home and tell the village that she had met someone who told her everything about herself. The best news she had ever received. And it impacted the whole community. The people found out that this Messiah had come not to condemn, but to reveal a true way of living that quenches the deepest longings in our lives. One of the cool things about literature and art is it oftentimes mimics, either intentionally or unintentionally, the gospel message. One of my favorite Broadway stories based upon a a novel written by Cervantes is The Man of La Macha. And in my office, I have a paper mache representation of Don Quixote on his steed. You may remember that Quixote is a wandering medieval crusader who battles evil in search of a life of beauty and truth. He takes along with him his companion Sancho, who accompanies him on this whimsical journey. From time to time, they visit this tavern, a tavern where they find rest and they find refreshment. And in the tavern is a barmaid named Aldonza. Aldonza 
is this rugged-looking creature whose life had been affected significantly, her visage by life in a medieval tavern. But Quixote is entranced with her. He does not see her as this aged, hardened, gruff Aldanza. He sees her as Dulcinea, the beautiful flower. And he comes and he courts and woos Dulcinea. And Aldan says, get away from me. And she's, she's just put off by this naivete and this blundering boob who sees her as this fair maiden, for she knows she is not. And all through the journey, they make their way back and forth into this tavern. And every time, it's the same wooing and, and, and plighting his love for Aldanza, his Dulcinea. At the end of the story, Quixote has been injured and he is dying. And Sancho takes him to the tavern. And Dulcinea sees Quixote taking his last breaths. And she comes to his side. She kneels down and she takes him into his arms. And she says, it is I. It is I, your Dulcinea. My brothers and sisters, we have a God who does not see us oft times as we see ourselves. We have a God who has come in Jesus Christ to see us as his beloved. To see us in a way that speaks to the deepest longings in our heart. We face hardships. We face our own stories of tragedy and difficulty and disappointment. We get caught up in making a living as opposed to living a life. And we drink well water instead of living water. We're tempted to give up and lose heart. But my friends, we've not been left to wander aimlessly in life. Some of our circumstances have brought scandal in our lives. Others, tragedy. And some of us have been bored by the routines of life. We get jaded and, and, and we get crusty. But the good news is, that Jesus still stops at Jacob's well. An unlikely place to meet unlikely people, and sometimes those people are you and I. And he sees us, and he knows our longings. We've tried to fill them with all sorts of worldly passions and entertainment and acquisitions, and building our career to prop us up in the eyes of our peers. 
But when he shows up and he speaks to the deepest places of our life, nothing compares to that. We experience that unmistakable drink and we know once again that we're loved. We know he sees us and we see him in a way that we can trust. And we too can leave our water jars behind and go and tell that it is well with our soul. We can sing the chorus that Bill Gaither wrote a few years back. Something beautiful. Something good. All my confusion he understood. All I had to offer him was brokenness and strife. But he, he made something beautiful of my life. My friends, that's the good news. And when those things happen, those are defining moments in our lives that oftentimes just spring up and they create a kind of joy that keep us following Jesus. Keep us faithful to whom he is and what his purpose for our lives is about. Oh, my friends, that's my hope for you today that you've experienced and will experience from time to time that water that never shall run dry. Let us pray. Father, thank you that you see us like you saw that woman at the well. That you see our hearts and you see our faith and you see our desire to want to serve you. In spite of the challenges and difficulties of carrying around a water jar, we thank you that you've invited us today again to lay it down, to lay it aside, and to step into the depths of your love, to love you more fully and freely, to enrich our lives, and to give us the joy of our salvation. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.